glad the kids know what's going on because I once again forgot to dismiss them for children's church. But this morning we're going to continue in our series looking at encounters with Jesus, at, at the stories of lives that have been changed because they came into contact with Jesus. Each of us have had that encounter with Jesus. You're here in church today because you have had an encounter with Jesus. But even those outside of these walls, even those that don't want anything to do with God, through God's prevenient grace, whether they realize it or not, they too have had an encounter with Jesus. These encounters with Jesus, they can be big or they can be small, but unfortunately many times they are less than they should be because of our perspective, because, because we look to places other than God. Th that encounter will still happen, but when we, when we don't have the right perspective, then we miss the power of that encounter. We miss the potential of that encounter. This morning, again, we're going to look at a, a story that maybe you've heard before in Mark chapter 10. Um, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. If you haven't heard this story before, that's okay, because maybe it'll help you. You don't have all the other ideas in your head clouding it, and we can focus, we can focus on what God's revealing this morning. But in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17, it says, as Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. Now, it seems like a really strange question for Jesus to be asking. Why do you call me good? Well, why wouldn't you call him good? I mean, just look at the stuff that he's been doing. He's been helping people, feeding people, healing people, doing all these miracles. Why wouldn't you call him good? But I don't think Jesus is just trying to, to pull one over on this guy to, to just exert superiority. No, you're wrong and I'm right. I think what he's doing here is, is trying to shift that perspective, to start the conversation from that new perspective. Because... As we look at God, the God who is good, and if we compare ourselves to that standard, to God's standard of goodness, then no, we're not good. Each and every one of us fail to measure up. Compared to God, none are good. And that perspective is important to keep in mind. But Jesus didn't just stop there and, and tell him, no, you're wrong. He, he went on to answer this man's question, saying, you know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cheat. Honor your father and your mother. And you may recognize this list that Jesus is giving. The our kids that are doing children's quizzing, studying the book of Exodus, they would recognize this list as the Ten Commandments. Being a Jew, this man would have grown up learning all of these commands. But you might notice, Jesus didn't name all ten. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. This man, in response, said, Teacher, 
I've kept all these things since I was a boy. I can imagine that he noticed as well that not all of the commands were listed. He probably had a sense of relief. Whew, he didn't name the ones I'm not very good at. But he said, look, I've, I've done those things. I've, I've kept those commands. And he persists, I'm a good person. I've done what I'm supposed to. And from that perspective, he's right. He did what God required. I, I have no doubt that this man was sincere. I don't think he came to Jesus trying to find a way out. I don't think that he came to Jesus trying to, to catch him or, or, or to trap him or anything like that. This was a man that, that he did all the church stuff. He lived that church life. He followed the commands of God. But even so, something was missing in his life. He sought eternal life. He wanted to go beyond just the, the Jewish synagogue, the, the going to church, doing the rituals. He wanted more. And so he came to Jesus, the one that he believed held the keys to more. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Note the tone. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't trying to, to prove the guy wrong. Well, you say you want to do this, but no. He saw him as a man who truly cared, who truly wanted to have more. So Jesus looked upon him with love and, and shared with him what was needed, how to go the extra mile. But the man he was dismayed. He was not happy with what Jesus said. He, he went away saddened because he had so, such great possessions. This reaction of the man, this, this interaction with Jesus, I can't help but see the mirror of the average American Christian. Because, I mean, look at this guy's life. He had the American dream. He had what we all want. He had the land. He had the, the possessions and all the toys. He had stability because of all of that. He had his, his church community and, and his religion. He had the influence. Other, other accounts tell us that he was a ruler. He had all these things that we work for and that we strive for. Something was missing in his life. And he wanted to know what it was. He wanted to, to fill that. And so he sought Jesus and he told him, this is what it's going to take. Give it all up. You have it all, but you're missing this one thing. And the man went away sad. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. 
Why is it that American churches have been declining for decades? Are we just not interested in God anymore? Or have we as a species grown or evolved beyond that? Where we have no need for these silly religious superstitions anymore. If that's the case, why is it that the churches outside of the U.S. have been growing exponentially? They've been, they've been bursting with new believers. You go to other countries, you go to Mexico or, or China or, or Africa, areas where people are persecuted for their faith. And people are coming to Christ in droves. Yet here in America, we have a hard time getting people to come and have an encounter with God for an hour or to read one of the three or four Bibles that they have sitting around their home. We're comfortable. We, we like church and life just the way it is. We have all of our needs met, and so we don't need God. This whole idea was a, a shock to those around them. As Jesus is saying this, these rich people were the ones God was blessing. If they can't get in, it says his words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Now, I've heard many sermons on this very passage. Many of them begin to talk about what this eye of the needle is. The, many will even go to, to explain that, that in those times, in, in the walls of Jerusalem, there was a... They had the big gates that everyone went through, but they also had these, they had a, a smaller hole in the wall, a, a gate, if you would, that was, a man could maybe squeeze through there, but it's going to be very difficult to get a camel through there. Not impossible. And I've heard commentaries and, and articles and well-learned people explaining how this is what Jesus was referring to. The, that hole in the wall was, was called the eye of the needle. And it was difficult to get a camel through it. But as I've, as I've researched it, as I've tried to understand this, this concept, as I've looked for the source of this whole idea, I have not found a credible source that says that that gate existed or that that was what Jesus was referring to. Instead, as I've looked into it, it seems more and more that this idea of this small gate in the wall is really just an attempt to make a difficult passage easier. To Americanize something that we don't like to hear. Because we understand that in America we're blessed. We have many things, our, our needs are provided for. Even the poorest among us are ranked globally among the richest in the world. So we know that Jesus' words here are speaking to us. Jesus is talking about us in this passage. So we like this idea of the small gate. 
that it's hard to get in there, but if you worked hard enough, you could still do it. I think what Jesus is doing here is, is providing an extreme example to drive home the point that he's trying to make. And this extreme example was shocking. It, it provided the, the jolt that the people around needed to hear. They were shocked even more and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. I feel like a broken record. You can't do it on your own. It's not about you. And I feel like I'm saying it over and over again, but the truth is we don't like to hear it as Americans. We are self-made people. We, we stand upon our own two feet. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We, we do what needs done to get what we need. We don't like to be told you can't do it. It is impossible for you to do it on your own. That's the reason that we like the idea of that small gate. So that it's in our hands. We can do it ourselves. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Your salvation, your coming to God, it is just as impossible for you to do it as it is to squeeze an entire camel through the eye of a sewing needle. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Now, we don't have the benefit of of the tone. In this written medium, we don't know how exactly Peter said this. I mean, the tone and the inflection can completely change the meaning of this. He could have been bragging. Well, look, we've, we've left everything to follow you. Or it could have been a, an awestruck revelation. Look, we've left everything to follow you. And I, I personally believe that it was the latter that was Peter's motivation for saying this. Because the, the call that Jesus gave to each of the apostles was no different than what he said to this rich man. He called them to leave everything. Peter, James, and John were, were fishermen. They were fishing when Jesus called them, and, and when he did, they left everything. They had just brought in a miraculous catch of fish. They, that, that, that catch would have set them up for weeks at least. They were well off and Jesus said, come and follow me. And they left the boats. They left the nets. They left all those fish to follow Jesus. Matthew, likewise, he was a tax collector a very well-paying job at the time. He was among the rich. And Jesus said, follow me. And he left his tax booth. He left his well-paying job to follow Jesus. Each and every one of them gave up what they had to follow. 
And that's exactly what Jesus said to this young man. Yet, he went away sad. Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or farms because of me and because of the good news will receive 100 times as much now in this life. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms with harassment and in the coming age, eternal life. Now, this is what we like to hear. This is the story that we like to, to receive. This is American Christianity. We like the prosperity gospel that, that you will receive more. You, you give to Jesus and he's going to give you a hundred times more, a hundred times the houses, a hundred times the family and the farms and, and the land. Yeah, that's what we're here for. That's what we want to hear. But we overlook that little addendum with harassment, with persecution, with the hard times that come with it. We want to focus on all the stuff that we get, but ignore the prerequisite. Ignore what is required to get to that point. We want to teach the prosperity and all the good things that God wants to give you, but we don't want to have to mention the cost. We want Jesus in our lives. That's why we come to church. Jesus, you can come into my life. I want you to be a part of it. I want to be in that community. I, I want you here. Just don't make me uncomfortable. Just stay here in the corner and let me live my life and we will be good. We want the presence of God in our lives but we reject the power of God because of its inconvenience. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Usually when we, when we look at this passage, when I've heard it preached, the focus goes to salvation. That this is what it takes to, to come to Jesus, to be saved. And I have no problem with that. I can see each and every one of those elements within this passage. But I can't help it. Every time I read this, every time I've looked at it in the past, that's not what I see. I, I see that, but I think there's more there. I've always seen it not so much as, as a sinner coming to salvation, but as a Christian going from good to great, going from religion to relationship, going from salvation to sanctification. And the distance between those two the distance between good and great, the distance between religion and relationship or, or salvation and sanctification, it is a vast distance between them. Because between them, there is a great chasm that must be crossed in order to get there. 
And the difference between good and great is the difference between experiencing God and experiencing God's power. We've all experienced God. Even if you've never been to church through God's provenient grace, each and every one of us have experienced God at one time or another. All of us experience God, but not everybody experiences God's power. And the reason that so many people miss out on that is because of this chasm that separates good and great. This young man that came to Jesus, he wanted more. He, he desired something more than just religion, and I commend him for that. There are so many people that don't even get that far. But he'd gone as far as his religion could take him. He'd gone to synagogue. He'd, he'd done all of the, the rules and, and done, done all the rituals. He'd followed all of that, and he felt that, that there was more, that, that he deserved more because he had followed this religion. And so he comes to Jesus asking for more, and Jesus, Jesus tells him, lists the commandments, but he didn't list all of them. It's interesting to note the commandments that Jesus left out. Jesus left out every single commandment that dealt with putting God first in your life. And he also left out the command, thou shalt not covet. This man had followed the rules. He, he felt that because he followed the rules, or at least five of them, that he deserved something for that. That he deserved something more. But the truth is, without Jesus, without his blood, what we deserve is condemnation. Hence the, the change in perspective that Jesus was, was positioning. What we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is hell. Because when God is the standard of goodness, we have not met that standard. So when Jesus tells him what's required to get there, what was required to cross that chasm, this young man said, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm happy where I am. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, expressed it saying, good is the enemy of great. Because when you figure you are good, then you stop there. No need to go any further. And so you miss out on greatness. You stop trying to reach that level of greatness because I'm good. Contrast this young man with Peter. Now the reason that I think that, that Peter wasn't bragging here, Peter we read so much about him and, and his impulsive behavior. Peter is the guy that he acts before he thinks. And so I can totally see Peter getting in the middle of this and, and hearing what Jesus is telling this man and saying, wait a minute. I didn't realize it at the time, but that's exactly what we did. We, we gave up everything. We, we surrendered all in order to follow you. 
Jesus said, yeah, you're right. That's precisely what you did. And because you crossed that chasm, you will receive more than what you surrendered. But if you want to move from good to great, from religion to relationship, then you have to cross that chasm. And in order to cross that chasm, you have to be willing to pay the price. Now, I'm not talking about giving enough money. I'm not saying that God wants you to be poor and destitute, and that's the only way to get to God. I'm not saying that if you give enough money, if you pay enough indulgences, then, then God will get you into heaven. This is not a prosperity gospel that just give your money to the church and we will, we will stamp your ticket to heaven. What we're talking about here is emptying yourself of everything that is you and allowing God to fill you with his spirit. Because this, this story clearly contains money. It, money is clearly involved here. But it's not a story about money. As Americans, we like to think about money a lot. It, it's on our minds all the time. But it's not about money. This is about God, the one who is great, living in you and allowing him to do good things, to do great things through you. But we look at that chasm that stands in our way. We see the price that needs to be paid to get to that point, to experience that power of God. And the question becomes, are you willing to pay that price? And the chasm doesn't have to be money. For many people, it is money. All the, the land and, and cars, boats and campers. But even if you don't have money, it can still be money. The, the fear of not having enough money. The fear of, of going without. Or maybe it's your pride. You want people to like you. you. You worry that if you do this or if you do that, it's going to hurt your reputation. That people won't accept you. Maybe it's your anger or your hurt. There have been things that have happened to you in the past and those things define you and you... You are entitled to feel that, that hurt and that pain, and you won't let it go for anything. Maybe it's your family or your plans for the future, what you want to happen in your life. That's what it was for me. I wanted the American dream. I wanted... I didn't care if I was rich. I wanted a stable, good-paying job. I wanted a house that my, my kids could grow up in, that, that I could pass on to them someday. I wanted enough money to, to, to buy the toys and the gadgets so that I could play and, and have fun with them, that I could enjoy all of this. I wanted the, the vacation time that, that I could spend with my family. 
I wanted that American dream. That's not too much to ask, is it? And God said, I want you to leave all of that behind. I want you to, to give all of those hopes and all of those dreams to me. Give up the good paying career. Give up that house. Give up the only family that you have ever known and the security and the stability that comes with that and follow me as I lead you into greatness. And I said, no thanks, God. I, I like where I am. That, that cost is it's too rich for my blood. I don't want to give up all these things. I'm happy where I am. I'm good. And when we look at that chasm, as we look at that, that price that needs to be paid, whether it's money or anger or our pride or our plans for the future, when we look at that price and we say, no, what we're saying is, I'm not willing to pay that price. If that is the price to go from good to great, then I'm happy just being good. And we settle for something less. We settle for American Christianity, where we come to church and we get just enough Jesus to punch our ticket to heaven, but not enough to really make us uncomfortable. And in so doing, we miss out on the power of God. We miss out on the things that God wants to do in you. Miss out on what God wants to do through you, and you miss out on what God wants to do for you. We settle for good when God wants to give us great. There's an old song that we sing in church sometimes that speaks to this very thing of, of forsaking all the pleasures of this world, of giving everything over to Jesus, paying the price that it takes to cross that chasm, surrendering all, all of our money or fears of not having enough money, all of our pain, all of our pride, our family, our future, and giving it all over to him so that he can take us from good to great. As we listen to that song this morning, I want you to ask the question, what is my chasm? What is the price that God has called me to pay? What is keeping me from the greatness that God has in store? And if you haven't surrendered that yet, or if you feel like God is calling you to surrender even more, maybe you've held back something, I want to invite you to come and to pray. The altars are a great place to, to come and to to meet God. Yes, I understand you can say the exact same prayer from your seats. But I know I've been in church long enough. I know how this goes. I don't want to go in front of everybody, and so I stay in my seat 
And it's so easy to keep it all hidden. It's so easy to walk out of those doors and just forget that I was ever made uncomfortable. So this morning, I encourage you to to listen to God. Whatever the price is to cross that chasm, to come to him, to lay it out there before him, no take backs, all or nothing, and surrender it all to him. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily.
If you want to experience God's power, if you want to experience all that God has to give you, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. Jesus promises to give you 100 times in this life what you give up to him along with persecution. But first, you have to surrender. You have to give it all to him. Give up the money. Give up the future to Jesus. That him and his greatness can do great things in you and through you and for you. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that we don't settle. That we don't settle for good. As we seek to encounter you, God, we can have a lot or we can have a little. It's all dependent on how much how much we're willing to surrender to you. God, you want to bless us. You want to give us so many things. You want to use us to bless other people. God, you've promised to repay more than we can fathom in this life and even more in the age to come. God, I pray that we wouldn't settle. That we would seek out greatness. That we would seek to be made more through you. Through your filling us with your spirit. Pushing out everything that is us. May we empty who we are to receive who you are. God, continue. Continue to conform us to your image. God, may we surrender all that we are, all that we have. Give it all to you. I pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.